Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Brainwaves. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. My name is Kiara and it is just past five. Um, I had a chat with uh, Dr. James McClure um, earlier this week um, who has completed his PhD in clinical pharmacology. He also works as a peer support worker with Pathways Mental Health and Wellbeing Services. Um, he's also written um, a book, Eight Stones, My Journey Through Schizophrenia and Depression, and has a lived experience uh, of mental illness. James sat down and uh, spoke with me about uh, all things uh, mental illness, about his experience, uh, about the book that he's written, about the organisation Grow that he's involved with, about his role as a peer support worker and his stance on mental health and football. All right, James, so welcome to Brainwaves. Thanks so much for, for coming on the show. I'm not even sure what, what to to call you, you know, peer support worker extraordinaire, PhD. Oh, are you, you're actually a doctor. I am. You are. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you have achieved so much, so, oh, so much over over your lifespan. You know, I'm just looking at, at everything, you know, that, that you've shown me. Um, and it's just, it's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, so I um, unfortunately didn't have the pleasure of, of hearing you speak at the at the VicSurf conference um, that was earlier this year in, I believe it was March? Uh, I can't remember when it was. It was, was yeah. a few months, it was a few months yeah, back. Yeah, probably was. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, are you able to, um, just for our listeners, kind of um, yeah. tell them uh, a little bit um, about who you are and, yeah, and what you do? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a peer support worker with Pathways Mental Health and Wellbeing Services. Please excuse my voice. I'm a bit bit scratchy in the throat. That's all right. It's that time of year. It is. It is. So I've been a peer support worker for the last three years. Excuse me. And... um, Supporting, mentoring, coaching up to 15 people um, here in Geelong. And Fantastic. I'm with the FEMS Employment, Personal Helpers and Mentors. Yeah. And this is with people that have employment as a recovery goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work with people around um, helping them to overcome their barriers uh, that are preventing them from being in employment. And we work in with job network agencies, so we help the person to be job ready. Mm-hmm. And it's the job network agency's job, ideally, to help the person to get a job. So, yeah, it is some of the most fruitful and rewarding work I've ever done. Yeah. Definitely the most rewarding. Um, working with people who are recovering and uh, growing and healing, playing a small part in people's healing is just a, a wonderful privilege. Yeah. And the Kiara, the, the Big Serve Conference, part of what I did with that, we have a peer project here at Pathways. We have six new peer trainees. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's the uh, first one in Australia where we're um, developing six trainees to be peer support workers. One of the presentations I did was uh, in how that arose and how we've developed a framework for it and how it's going and that sort of thing. Okay, so is this, just to kind yes. of clarify, so um, FAMs are peer workers that help individuals who have their own lived experience of mental illness, um, you know, try and, and gain employment, but um, these these are peers as well. So it's kind of um, that, uh, you know, equal kind of playing field of, you know, we have a shared experience, you know, let me show you what, what worked for me or let's kind of help yeah. each other. That's it, that's exactly it. So within FEMS uh, teams, there's usually, I think, there's a team of five, a team leader, two support workers and two peer support workers. Ah, okay. So there's a range yeah. of experiences. So you don't necessarily need to be have your own lived experience to be a FAMS worker? No. Ah, no. okay. But within the team, I'm not sure if that is... Uh, just in FAMS employment, there's FAMS employment and also general FAMS. So I think, yeah, mm. the specifications for a FAMS employment team, two peer support workers, two support workers yeah. and a team leader. I'm not sure about general FAMS. I think it's the same, but, uh, yeah. Mm. And it sounds as though that you've been on quite a journey. You know, you were saying before about it's such a gratifying feeling for you to help people along their journey. And it sounds as though that you've had your own pretty extraordinary journey as well. Are you able to talk a little bit, you know, for our listeners about, you know, what uh, your background is and how you came to to be a support worker? Sure, Kiara. So in about 1999... I started suffering a mental decline and started, initially it was just a bit of a um, depressive episode and then I went overseas and started feeling a lot better but in fact probably a little bit too good and started entering into a psychosis. So I was having pretty bizarre thoughts, thinking, you know, that I was close to God and Mm. the next secretary general and going to be a wizard, much to the delight of my 10-year-old nephew at the time. (laughs) Thought it was pretty cool having an uncle as a wizard. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I suffered a decline and that that went on for about seven years. And then I came back to Geelong. I was doing a doctorate over in Adelaide Mm -hmm. and... Uh, yeah, hit rock bottom where I was having the most horrific psychotic thoughts and uh, really disturbing, distressing and felt like I didn't have control over my mind and mm. the family, thankfully I've had a most loving and supportive family and they came over and got me from Adelaide, brought me back to Geelong. Uh, I admitted that I needed help, which was the turn of the tide often. You know, that denial phase where we deny anything's wrong with us. And, yes. <clears throat> excuse me. And so I admitted I had a problem, went into hospital and started recovering from there. And that's, yeah, part of when I started recovering, I wanted to give back. Yeah. It's a thing that a lot of people have for some reason that, yeah, there's a really might be innately human where 
we just like helping other people. And mm. so, yeah, part of what I did to help others, I wrote a book. And then I joined up, uh, the book's called Eight Stones, My Journey Through Schizophrenia and Depression. Sold it around Geelong and Adelaide mainly and a little bit in Melbourne. Um, I've just got some more copies of the book. Um, and then I also joined up Grow. Grow's a community mental health movement. And, yeah, that was part of my healing. I joined mm. in the, the movement and the community and it's a really safe, supported, non-judgmental community that um, where people are helping each other to overcome their, their problems. And um, yeah, they have a... For me, it was quite a miraculous program that GROW has that was devised by people who have recovered. So it's quite a unique store of uh, wisdom, insights and practical helps. So you want to found GROW, that was yeah, an amazing thing for me that gave me the hope, that little bit of hope that we need to fuel recovery. Mm. Um, it, it's honestly yeah. been such a such an incredible journey across your lifespan um and I, I just want to kind of um touch on or, or further talk about you know you mentioned before that it, there was a seven year decline seven years is quite a long time to be unwell and to not yeah. a recognize that you're unwell or b yeah. admit that you're unwell um you know even though you know we may have loved ones that are kind of telling us you know that you know, what, what they can see, but we aren't able to see it ourselves. Is that what was happening What was happening for you? Did you have that loved ones? Exactly it, Kiara. Yeah, my loved ones, my family were treading on eggshells and they didn't know what they could and couldn't say to me because they thought they might lose me if they said, oh, mate, you're talking rubbish. Mm. What do you want about? So incredibly difficult for family and friends. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I understand the challenges now that that the people face in the family. With and psychosis is a hard one because of the way it affects not only the person but the community. Yeah. Um, and especially loved ones that are close. Mm. What's fantastic yeah, was, though is that you did yeah. come to that realization. You know, and I know that. Um, a lot of family members and loved ones do hold on to that hope that you know their loved one who is unwell will come to that realization and get to that point where they do recognize that there is a problem what was that turning point for you um it was when i got home from adelaide and i just there was always something in the back of my mind that knew that i was unwell but it was just like it had gone so far that i didn't know how to change it i think and mm. um that's really and, interesting yeah i think that there is this, that little bit of knowing the back of our minds that yeah and then when I got back to Geelong I just had the most horrible thoughts and I was like oh I need help it was that was uh, the event that um, led me to accepting that I had a problem and yeah so for seven years where everyone else my mum had seen it from the start she knew that I was something was wrong with me as mothers do Yes, <laughs> they do have that uh, that <laughs> intuition, mother's intuition. Yeah, that's it. So, what you're saying is that 
you know, in the back of your mind, you kind of always knew that there was something wrong, but there, that you weren't ready to kind of um, accept that or acknowledge that because it is, it's such a, um, it's such a difficult thing to kind of put your hand up and say, I have a problem and yeah. I need some help. Yeah, it is. It's that pride that we have that comes into play and um, yeah, so it is and you know, incredibly humbling as a 33-year-old, I needed to give myself back to my family. Yeah. I needed to say, yep, I need help. I can't do this on my own. I'm going to need a lot of support. I went back as a dependent child at 33 years of age. Yeah. So incredibly humbling. And, but, you know, just some of the most fruitful and rewarding time that I've spent you know, developing a hugely stronger relationship with my parents. They were the ones that came to Adelaide and saved my life. And yeah. with the rest of my family, how I now value them far greater than I ever did. And so, yeah, yeah. it's just, I think... So um, yeah. re reconnecting with, with loved ones, repairing those relationships... Um, yeah. was, was a really kind of key thing for, for your kind of recovery as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And my family has played a huge part in my recovery. And, you know, at Grow, one of the wisdoms is we love people back to health. And that's I think beautiful. that's what families do. Yeah, it is. Mm. Uh, it's pretty simple. And I think, you know, in the mental Simple but field, powerful. Yeah, it is. And that's, that's how it works you know, how people recover through the love of their family and just having that constant love, the constant support. When I had challenges, my family were there, I could lean on them a bit and yeah. say, yeah, they, they've been absolutely <clears throat> incredible, Kiara. They're um, just so grateful for for their love and support. So how did you go about transforming your life? And yeah. um, you know, making things better, better for yourself. You know, you've mentioned your family. You've also mentioned the book that that you've written as well. Yes. So I just uh, maybe it was because I'd played footy at a high level and had studied too that I I had this really strong discipline and the mm. drive. You know, if I hadn't known how hard it was going to be, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have kept going. But, um, yeah, I just had this really strong drive that when I went to hospital, you know, for instance, that was 2006, and mm -hmm. someone recently said to me who'd read the book, said, oh, wow, you're already starting on recovering. You were doing walking laps around the hospital. And so, yeah, I just, I just started to commit myself wholeheartedly mm. to recovering everything for I think the first five six years I absolutely lived and breathed recovery it was every moment of every day I was weighing up what I need to do yeah sounds sort of almost ridiculous no not not at all at. not at all James it's um yeah. It, it, it's understandable, you know, because you need to focus 100% on yourself, on, um, you know, uh, 
nourishing your mind, nourishing your body so that you're able to, to nurse yourself back to a place, well, to a place of, of wellness. So, yeah. no, that doesn't sound, sound silly at all. Yeah, so, yeah, that, that's sort of what I did. And then, you know, thinking outside of myself as I got better, at one stage my mum got ill with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So I was more thinking of her than myself. And um, as yeah, and after she got, she's got a lot better from that. And after that, you know, Dad said, oh, that was a really helpful thing for you. You were thinking outside of yourself and about others. And um, so that too was a turn of the time that, thinking, you know, mm. initially I had to work on myself and get myself better, but then I could start to support and love and care yeah. for others. And that too is a part of maturing, I guess, and regaining one's mental health and thinking of family, community, um, over, yeah, not over oneself, but uh, equal to oneself and one's own health and well-being. Yeah, that is such. Um, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That is such a key indicator of, of, um, of wellness. Is when you know because when we're unwell, we tend to we're so inwardly focused on on ourselves. Yeah, um, you know, because we're in survival mode. But yeah. once we do get yeah. to that place where we are, um, you know, a bit more well, we're actually able to look outside of ourselves and you know support other people and recognize that other people you know, that we can be of assistance to other people as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I do want to ask you, James, you um, you have mentioned that you um, actually played for Geelong Football Club. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> yeah, right. Was my dream come true? <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm unfortunately not much of a footy fan, but my, um, <laughs> my partner is a fanatic Essendon um, oh. fan, unfortunately. Um, I do want to ask a question for you. You know, uh, you played AFL for for three games, but I do yes. want to ask: Can you talk to your experience of mental health and football? You know, what's um, what's the connection between the two? You know, there has been a lot of football players that have come out recently. You know, saying that they do have a mental illness. Um, you know, and they have to, like everyone else, you know, work on themselves. Um, yes. Do you have an opinion about that? Um, so back in our day, uh, that was back in the mid-90s when I played, but uh, yeah, the, I guess mental health there probably wasn't quite as scrutinised as it is nowadays. I think there's a huge amount of pressure on especially these young kids who are coming in, 18, who are put on lists, and then if they go out and... Uh, have a drink of alcohol and find themselves in a bit of trouble. They're mm. front page, and yeah. so I think they're the, a lot more in the limelight now. I oh, absolutely, absolutely, and um, so I think there's huge amounts of pressure on on people. But I think there is also the internal uh, welfare and development um, people that are at footy clubs that are there to support young players and to educate them. So, yeah, the mental health, I, back in my day, the culture was a bit of, uh, you know, after a, 
a game on the Saturday. We'd go out and have a few beers. And yeah. So, um, yeah, that could have ill affected my mental health. But I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I just think, yeah, it's a pretty tough gig for those young people coming in nowadays with uh, so much external external pressure from the media and mm. the community and... Do you think that it's somewhat easier for for footy players to kind of come out and talk about um, their the status of, of their mental well-being? I, I think it would be when you consider one of the greatest players of the modern era, Buddy, has uh, admitted to having mental health issues. And so, yeah, I think the AFL does a great job with breaking down some of the barriers related to some of those big issues. And, yeah, I just hope that it's... I know Nathan Thompson, who used to play for North Melbourne, I think in Hawthorne, he was employed by the AFL to do speeches to schools and stuff around his own mental health journey. and Yeah, um, and that's happening yeah. more and more now. Yeah, it is. It is. Yep. I might get a gig. <laughs> <laughs> Put a word out if anyone's interested. <laughs> that's great. Um, I do want to ask as well, um, James, your um, your book, I think it's pretty phenomenal to, okay. to write a book. Um, yeah. I've often wanted to write a memoir, but... Just the yeah, thought of doing that do is it. such, oh, it's so much effort. Who's got the time? <laughs> <laughs> so your book, Eight Stones, My yes. Journey Through Schizophrenia and Depression. Um, yes. What was the purpose of the book? You said that it was part of your recovery. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so in 2007, when I was over in Adelaide, I went back to, to uni to complete my doctorate. And I was just doing that very gradually, so I had a lot of extra time. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, when I put my mind to it, I just thought, I think that what I've been through is going to be able to help other people. So yeah. for me, it was just the right thing to start writing the book. Um, so from 2007 to 2010, I wrote the book, and it was quite amazing. It just it was still fresh in my mind and people said I can't believe you can still remember all the experiences and for whatever reasons you know, it was still fresh in my mind and so I just wrote it down and then I got Dad who was the editor-in-chief of the Geelong Addy down here in Geelong he uh, had a look through it and it made some edits and yep. then I got a professional edit- editor and yeah we just got the manuscript up to a place where it could be printed and yeah. worked with a family friend, um, <clears throat> Andy Cunningham, uh, up in Melbourne and he got the book into a format to be printed and then self-published and printed the book. So just thought it was the right thing to do and that it could help other people. Yeah, and what, I think what's, it has. Yeah, what's been the response um, from the book? Well, I've Ed my, my dirty laundry in it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and amazingly, though it's sort of a what's and all memoir, or um, yeah, detailing how I got ill, some of the triggers and things like that, and 
which were pretty innocuous types of things. Yeah, so, and the feedback, I sort of thought, because I've been so brutally honest and that there might be a lot of negative feedback, but mm. I haven't had any negative feedback. It's all been positive. So I just think that, you know, the truth sets you free type thing yeah. is a, could be, yeah, a real truth in this instance because all the feedback's been great and um, people are using it as a resource in their uh, down here in Geelong for the mental health courses. And yeah. I did a speech with the Australian Mathematics and Science School with a colleague from uni that I used to go to uni with. And so, yeah, it's really greatly positive experience and, um, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, James, as I said, you know, I'm, I'm extremely impressed um, by everything that, that you've achieved from playing footy to writing a book to getting your, your uh, PhD in clinical pharmacology. It's incredibly impressive. And, you know, all the while, you know, having, a, 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 you know, experienced a mental illness um, and having recovered from that as well. You know, some people don't even achieve one of these things in their lifetime. So it is extremely inspiring. I might have to walk in the door, man. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that means a lot to me and um, just keep trying to do your best, I guess. And Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much um, for, for coming on the show, James. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much, Kiara. Lovely to speak to you too. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.